Right, today we're going to get, uh, make sure you've got Psalm 62, uh, page 408 in front of you. You need to look down in it, and I'm actually going to get you to do some work together from it in a minute. So make sure it's there in front of you. But today we're going to get uh, a window into the inner workings of, who was one, uh, of somebody who was one of the greatest men who have ever lived. We're talking about King David. Uh, he's talking about men. He's the dude who slayed Goliath. The fact that he played the harp, we'll just airbrush that one out. Men don't play harps, but he did. But he killed Goliath. So I want to hear what it's like for him in his life. Now you and I all know that you never really learn about a person until you've seen them face adversity. When the walls are closing in, when life is collapsing, and they're at the end of themselves, that's where you find out where their foundation is. I realise some of you are being captivated by the fly. I assure you that what you're about to find in here is better than the fly that is buzzing around. Or what is out the window. So tune in, people. Are you with me? Brilliant. So if you want to see somebody's soul and their foundation on show, what you do is you look at them, not when everything's going fine, but when everything's crumbling around them. When they feel like they're about to fall over, that'll tell you the story. And here we see David buried up to his neck in a problem, or many problems. There are real threats coming against him, and no doubt there are some perceived threats. Because when you live in a threatening world, what does our mind and our eyes tend to do? This is how bad the threat is, but then our mind and our eyes sees all the other potential threats that can come out of it. So not only am I worried about the threats, the real ones, my mind's just going freaking out. Because I can see all the possible things, ways in which it could get worse. And here we see David. He's overwhelmed. He's at the point of feeling like he's not going to be able to go much further. If he was Nathan, he would be saying, I am at threat level midnight. Because that's what Nathan says when things go bad. And yet from the beginning to the end of this song, this psalm, this hymn of praise, it's confidence. How do you fit those two together? You know, look, look at verse 1. My soul finds rest. Verse 5. Find rest, O my soul. He is in total rest. Yet everything's falling apart around him. Now do you know anything of that? Can I tell you, if you're, you're somebody here who's not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're really welcome. This is the best place sitting under God's words. But you have a means of coping with the threats in your life, don't you? And it isn't Jesus. All of us will try and find an answer to the threats that we find, a way to try and quieten down our soul. Let's hope Bethany doesn't resort to Jack Daniels. But we will find a way to quiet our heart and our soul, won't we? Now, if you are a believer, you know that where David is, even in the midst of the storm, you should be confident in God and his grace. Sometimes that alludes you, doesn't it? So you start to crumble just like the person next to you. And then you feel guilty for that as well, don't you? You have these haunting moments, don't you, believer, that when things don't make sense, when there are experiences that appear to be vastly different to God's revelation of what it looks like to live in, you start saying to yourself, is what I'm going through in keeping with a wise and good God, in those moments you lack the confidence that David is talking about as he faces his struggles, don't you? Anybody prepared to nod? Thank you for your honesty. I know I do. So what David has, sometimes we haven't got or we've never experienced, and here 
we're going to see where, it, where, where the solution is. And it lies in verse 8. Can you see that in verse 8? This is where David pushes everybody. Trust in him, that's the Lord, at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Let me say that again. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So I'm over, I'm going. What? <laughs> yeah, best of them ever. But you say, Steve, it's not as easy as that, is it? Because most of you in this room know that. But the knowing that and the doing that is two different things, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it? That is why I love the Psalms. Listen to me. This is why I love the Psalms. They are words from God, about God, and they tell the story of a spiritual journey. And as we follow, and as we listen to the story, we are taken into it, and in sensing it, and being taken up in the story of of God's faithfulness to another, His Spirit draws us to the place where we sense we can't go on on our own, and we get drawn to the goal of the story, which is verse 8. You see, I can just say, trust in God. And you can go away and you can dwell on that and meditate on it. That's right. But as you go through this psalm, you're going to find yourself being drawn into a life-sustaining, growing relationship of faith in the Saviour God. So that by the end, you are saying, listen, not just me, all of you trust in Him, verse 8, at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. When things have fallen apart. So let's do it. Let's go into the story, okay? Uh, First thing we need to see is found in verses 3 and 4, and I'll give this the title of The Need for Rest and Refuge. The Need for Rest and Refuge. Somebody loudly read for us verses 3 and 4, please. Don't mind who. Somebody loudly read it for us. Verse 3 and 4. Don't leave me hanging. Somebody help me. I feel a little... Thank you, Mario. David is talking about what he's facing. Okay, I don't know whether you know this about David, but David was the object of the largest manhunt in the history of the nation of Israel. They were pursuing him. He had to learn all the tricks to stay alive, but they were pursuing him. Verse 3a, how long will you assault a man? Verse 4, surely they intend to topple, literally to thrust down. He's got people who really want his demise. And that is the threat that he is facing. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that, but there are days when we feel like everyone is out to get us. Anybody ever been there? Vi's going, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been there, haven't we? And sometimes it is real. And sometimes it is just perceived. But the feeling is the same, isn't it? Somebody is out to get him. And David lived in that, not just some days, but virtually every day. And the fact that he hasn't had a total meltdown is amazing. Verse 3b here. Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? He's describing how he feels. Have you ever seen one of them walls around speak and you think, it's just going to take a gust of wind and that thing's falling over? That's how David felt on the inside. He's in inner turmoil. There's restlessness. It's the opposite of soul stillness. It's the thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night and keeps running round. It's the threats, and, and the, both real and perceived threats. 
And he faced this, and so sometimes so do we. And it feels so real, doesn't it? Emily this morning woke us up at five to six, banging on the door. She'd gone out of her room, she'd nipped to the toilet, and on the way back, there was a spider. And the spider was just near the door plate into her bedroom. And she's banging, Daddy, please! The spider's going to run into my room, climb into my bed, and it's going to bite me. My friends at school say, even Daddy Longway bites them. Daddy, please! Was she facing a threat? No. Because I went straight over, picked it up, and chucked it out the window. You wouldn't do that, would you, Natalie? No. Because you're a coward, too. No, uh, sorry, that's his family junk. We'll deal with that later. Uh, but the perceived threat, when your adrenaline rush tells you you're up against it, it feels the same. Was Emily at rest? Was there a quiet still waiting in her soul? Not until I got rid of the spider. We know what it feels like, real or perceived. You tell yourself, oh, this is silly. This can't hurt me. It can't touch me. But it still does. And you find your soul in turmoil. So what are the threats, real or perceived, that you and I face today? Uh, let's think of somebody here who's in the workplace, or some of you kids of school in class, and you're dreading going to school the next day, because there is somebody there, a classmate, who seems to be out to get you. You ask yourself, what did I ever say to him or her to make them always want to try and skip me and, and score points off me in class? And you're like, I don't know. And you're really worried about it. It starts to take up more and more of your energy and your time, doesn't it? And that's the same in the workplace. What about if you're in a relationship? What if you're in a marriage and it's just difficult? It's been tense for a long time, and all your efforts to try and put it right seem to be being misinterpreted. And if things are going from bad to worse, and you're just like, oh. And at the end of the day, you're like, I don't know why I bother. And you just feel like you want to collapse. What about your health? What about if you're moving on in years, and you're noticing day by day, not only are there more grey hairs, but climbing them stairs is getting more and more breathless. You've got a few tests coming up in just a little while from the doctors, and if truth be told, you're scared stupid about what they're going to reveal. You can't get it out of your mind. Your soul is restless. What about if you're a single person and you see people coupling up, and you've got friends, and they're good friends, but there's this nagging feeling deep within that you're no more than one or two weeks away from being forgotten and being utterly alone. What about financially? Financially, you were doing okay, and then they brought in that, so it was a bit of a balancing act, and you're just about making everything work, and then they bring in that so-called bedroom tax. And that last little bit of money that was your buffer has been removed, and the kids are still demanding and insisting that you have this, that, or the other, and you feel like a tottering fence, a wall that is about to collapse. You're under threat. You have no stillness of soul. Is what I'm saying here ringing any bells? This is human life, isn't it? I'm really glad that nobody's trying to put your head on the pike. Maybe there are some for some of you. But this is real when we face threats, and we will go somewhere. You know the restlessness of soul, the unquietness, the fear, the longing for something to help you, and this sense that you've got to spring up and do something about it. Can I ask you, where do you go in those moments and in those times? Where do you go? Well, if that's the need for rest and, the, and refuge, let's see, secondly, some empty hopes, some vain refuges. 
and places we try to go. Okay, let's see this in verse 9 and 10. Somebody read for us, other than Marion. Again, don't leave me hanging. Verses 9 and 10. Who's going to read that for me? Okay, so we see what he's saying here. There are two places that were particularly tempting for David to go when he felt threatened. Two places of refuge to run to. Two places that he thought, if I could secure that, a leaf life would be manageable. And it's in the storms that you and I will learn something about ourselves because we'll be finding out what we're trying to find an answer to cure the unsettleness in our heart. Okay? It's going to be something. One thing is not in doubt, you will find something to dull the senses, to escape into. I suppose we call it hope. But hope always has an object. Hope is hope in something. And that is why hope and trust and refuge in anything other than God will always be... Don't miss this. Are we tuned in? So, this way. Much more interesting. Thanks. Hope and finding refuge in anything other than God will always be accompanied by a haunting question of that object or that thing's reliability. And perhaps that's why you're here today, because you've sensed that everything else in life doesn't quite satisfy and leaves you feeling utterly unstill, no matter how much stuff you get, no matter how places you go. You've got that haunting sense of, I need something bigger. Perhaps today, you're in the midst of trusting in something other than the Lord your God, and as you listen to what David is honest enough to say he is tempted to trust, you feel the Lord speak to you. So what are the two places? He could have done more than two places. There are two places that we retreat, find refuge and set our hope in. And the first one is found in verse 9 there. Lowborn are but a breath, and highborn are but a lie. He's talking about status. He's talking about how the human instinct is to categorise people as having a degree of status or not. Lowborn, highborn. Okay? In the ESV, it says those of low estate or those of high estate. Now, David was in the public eye, and it would have been easy for him to say, I've got to keep that up. To find his security in other people's opinions of him. That's the stuff of 